Thank you for joining us today for the ministry of the word at Foundation Church. We pray that what you hear today will be as much of a blessing for you as it was for the people of our congregation. Well, greeting this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and our King. So glad to have everyone with us today here in the house of the Lord, answering that invitation uh, to come and dine with the Lord and worship Him and lift up His name. Amen? Amen. Psalm 63, our call to worship, says this, O God, Thou art my God, early will I seek Thee, for my soul thirsteth for Thee. My flesh longs for Thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is to see thy power and glory. So I have seen thee in the sanctuary because thy loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise thee and thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with the marrow and fatness and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches because thou hast been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee, and thy right hand uphold me, because that they that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth, and they shall fall by the sword, and they shall be a portion for the foxes. But the king shall rejoice in God. Every one that swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for loving us, for giving us yet another opportunity, Lord, to come into this place with your people. Lord, we're mindful that we're coming for you. We're coming to hear your voice speaking to us. We are coming to sit at your feet. I pray today, Lord, that you would open our ears and that you would illuminate your word to us, that it would change us, that it would draw us nearer to you, Lord. Lord, that we would find what is uh, not just good in our life, but what is most needful. In Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. standing for just a little bit here, and I'm going to read for you the text for my sermon. Sermon today is called The Needful Part. It is from Luke chapter 10, and uh, you just actually heard it at our New Testament reading. It's not very long, the portion I'm going to read, though. And uh, Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. In Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38, it says, Now it came to pass as they went that he being Jesus, entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about with much serving. And she came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she may help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha. Thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. 
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We love you for giving us work. We love you for giving us one another to serve. We love you for giving us burdens to bear. Lord, you said that we should take our, your yoke upon us. Your yoke is easy and your burden is light. That yoke is the thing they put over the back of uh, oxen when they plow. Lord, we want to be working and plowing in your field. We want that yoke. It's an easy yoke. It's an easy burden compared to the burden that the world has for us. We pray today, Lord, as your word goes forth, Lord, we would see what is the most needful and most important thing that we should be doing. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said amen. You may be seated. According to the scripture, there are good things. Everybody say good things. But then, uh, Brother Jason, there are better things. Say better things. There are glorious things, and then there are more glorious things. Everybody say more glorious. Are you starting to see a pattern here? Things we should certainly do, but we should only do those things as long as we don't neglect the more important things. Within the law of God itself, there are weighty matters, but as it follows, there are some matters that are what? That are weightier than others. We often get caught up in conversation about what bad thing is worse than some other bad thing. Someone is talking about a sin. Yeah, but is that worse than that? Anybody ever do that? Raise your hand if you've ever had that conversation. Is this sin worse than that sin? And we, we talk about it like that. And there is a little bit of that in the scriptures too, but not so much as we will find of what I first mentioned, better things, more glorious things, things that are more important or beneficial than other good things. There's quite a lot of them really in the Bible. Remember Paul taught the Corinthians in his second letter uh, of what the King James actually calls an epistle, right? Paul was telling them, like I should remind all of us today, that you and I, the lives that we live here, are God's letter, God's epistle about who he is. And for this reason, we should live righteous lives. Here's what he goes on to say to them. He says, God, verse 6 of um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says this. He says, God made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious, everybody say, glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be more or rather glorious. For if the ministration of condemnation be glory much more, does the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory? For even that which was made glorious has no glory in this respect by the reason of the glory that excels. In fact, there is such a large difference between the gloriousness of the law and the new thing that Jesus was doing that Paul said it was so much more glorious that it was almost like the law had no, no gloriousness at all. Now, let me ask you a question. Are, do, are we going to have 
Any scripture slides or my map, or did that not make it in this week? We did? Okay. This is one of the statements like Jesus made when he said that whosoever comes after him to follow him must hate his father and mother. Do you really think Jesus was calling on us to hate our parents? No. He was saying that the love that we have for him and the fervency and dedication and devotion we have to him should be so much so that the love we have for mom and dad looks practically like hate. This is one of these comparisons that Jesus did. In the same way, the law was glorious, but what Jesus brought was so much more glorious that it overshadows the glory of the law as though it had no glory at all. Verse 11, for that which is done away was glorious much more, that which remains is glorious. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 6, says this, or that's what we just read. 2 Corinthians 3, 6 through 11. So we can see here that what I said earlier is true. There are some things that are glorious, which means especially good and wonderful and beneficial, but there are other things that are more glorious. They're more wonderful, more beneficial and good. So I'm going to look at another one of these examples, this time from the mouth of Jesus, uh, who was the Word of God made flesh. As Jesus rebuked the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 23, he said this, He said, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you pay tithes of mint and anise and cumin, and you have omitted the weightier matters of the law. And he lists them, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done and not to leave the other undone. Everybody say weighty matters and weightier matters. So do you see this? Uh, The reason I'm going over this is sometimes when somebody tries to explain something to you, you know, inside your heart, you you resist it, okay? And I'm trying to, I got a little cannon aimed at the wall of your, the fortress of your heart, and I'm blasting away. Is anybody feeling the blasting? That, That there's good stuff we do, Terry, but some things that God wants to do is better than the good stuff, okay? There's good stuff, but there's better. There's glorious and there's more glorious. There's weighty and there's weightier. And I'm blowing the cannon at you because sometimes we get stuck on good and we don't want to do better. We get stuck on weighty and we never make it to the weightier. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. In the law, it was and still is important to give 10% of your income to God, as Jesus says here. But there are weightier matters even than this. You see, they, if, you, if you read in Matthew 23 there where we did, he is mentioning things, Terry, that you grow like in your windowsill. They're little tiny things, mint and, and anise and cumin. And they would, you know, they, they'd make like, how, how much spice do you keep in your cupboard of, of, you know, cumin? Like it's just a little tiny bit, right? And so you grow it and you make a powder and they're like measuring it out and taking 10% of that and they're bringing it in to the temple. Now, should they do that? Yeah, they should do that. Okay, but should they do that and miss the weightier matters of the law? And Jesus is like, no, these things you should do. But this other thing, you can't be leaving it undone. Those weightier matters were judgment, mercy, and faith. They were weightier than tithing mint growing in their windowsills. And you should do 
this. You should take the extra effort to obey God's command to bring all the tithes into his storehouse. But this is important. But showing someone mercy, walking by faith, and being fair in your judgments of others should not come after you tithe your spices. Does that make sense, Terry? God wants one thing, but there are some things he wants more than others. And if you were going to leave something undone because you couldn't do it, it would be the weightier matter that you would do. In the coming weeks, we're also about to come to another one of these passages in the New Testament in Acts chapter 6. Luke lays out how feeding widows was important and a needful work, and it must be done. But it was better that the apostles should teach the Bible. They shouldn't be spending their time feeding widows even though feeding widows is important. Doesn't the Bible say pure religion is visiting the widows and the fathers, the fatherless, right? In their affliction and keeping yourself unspotted from the world. And that is pure religion. But apparently purer even than that is teaching God's word. It's actually our first calling. They weren't spending... Remember that story. They weren't too good to do the work. The work needed done, but there was a greater work that they should do. And so they appointed seven men who would take the place of the apostles and the apostles would stop being uh, the guys who were waiting the tables to feed the orphans and feeding the widows in that case. Luke puts this story in the choosing of what many call the first seven deacons of the church. Now, as we look at our story today in our text in Luke chapter 10, the day that Jesus meets two women, Mary and Martha, and visits with them in their home, we find yet another instance of this principle. And week before last, as I told you, God was pressing upon me to lead our church uh, into a deeper, nearer walk with him. There was a lot of running around in the building. There was a bathroom that wasn't working and People were going here and people were fixing it and people were having meetings and things were happening and then there was banging on the wall. I'm sitting here wanting, Terry, I'm like, God has told me to deliver this message about the church needs to draw nearer to him and I'm preaching and this one is up and that one is up and they're talking and people are going to the bathroom and I, I was like, I was losing my mind. I'm like, God, you gave me the message, you gave me the word of God to bring forth and I'm like going, I'm wanting to go and, and go, ah! Quit banging on the wall. Quit fixing the bathroom. We don't need bathrooms. We need to hear the word of God. That's kind of how I was feeling, okay? If you're wondering how, now I'm not mad at Tim and these guys for trying to fix it. We needed a bathroom, okay? But it gave a perfect example of what we can do. That was needful, but more needful is what? Hearing the word of God. We come together for the word of God. If we had no bathroom here, we could maybe hold it. Has anybody ever held it before? You can hold it, okay? We can hold it. We can wait. The deal is, I was trying to explain to my kids, like, I'm glad we have these, these uh, video boards. I'm glad we have a sound system. I'm glad we have a lot of things, but we don't need them. They're not the most needful thing. They're not the most important thing. If all of a sudden we didn't have power and all we had were a couple candles and we couldn't show them and all we had was us, would we, would we be able still to do the most needful thing? Yes, the word of God can go forth and we can do it. We can sing. We go, oh, well, we can't have 10 instruments or we can't. We don't need that as much as we need God's word. I was encouraged. So many came to me and told me they were really needing to hear that message. And they did hear the message, draw me nearer. And it called on their hearts like it was calling on mine. And so... 
I had to just leave it in the hands of God. But as I was talking to a few people uh, at my house, wondering about, you know, did people even hear it, the message, you know, my, my daughter Rebecca said, well, Dad, if you don't think they heard you, preach it again. And I'm like, I kind of like that, you know. And I was kind of in the middle of sort of liking my daughter, encouraging me to preach it again. Uh, that I like, you know, duh, I probably should think of that myself. Then God just like lays on me the message that I'm preaching today. It was almost like I heard, you know, you've got mail from God, you know. It's like, bam, it was right there. Now, when God gives me messages, I have to dig into them and I have to learn from his word what he's saying to me, what he's saying to the church. You know, I don't just get up here and offer clever messages. In the words of the Apostle Paul, we did not deliver cunningly devised things. I did not come to you in great power and demonstration. I came to you in the Holy Spirit speaking to you God's word. And I'm telling you that if there's anything that I do for God in my service as the pastor of this church, I do bring you the word of God. And every week, God puts on my heart very specifically messages for you. This is not a, oh, well, wasn't that clever. No, it's not that. This is spiritual and hearing the word of God is vital. And in fact, it is the most important thing we do when we're here. I love it that we sing. I love it that we read the word of God. I love that we do a lot of things. But the preaching of the word of God, according to scripture, is the most important thing. The Bible tells us you might have the gift of tongues. You might have the gift of, uh, you know, healing. You might have, but you know what? The most important thing is what? Pray that you have the gift of prophecy, which is what? It's just speaking God's word. Desire the most important spiritual gifts. In our text today, written by the author of the book of Acts, we'll see uh, something very consistent with Luke the physician's theology. We are given a very interesting and educational insight into the heart of God. In fact, the story that is included here, and I'm so glad to have Stephen's mom and sister and did you, is that the first time you saw the baby or did you see it? Were you like, oh, I got to see that again. You know? But you have to understand this story that I'm telling, it makes no sense that it's even in the Bible at all. I mean, come on. Jesus and Peter are walking on the water. Jesus is touching people and they're being raised from the dead, right? Dramatic things are happening. But this story is about Jesus visiting the house of two women and one woman going, Jesus, can't you see the other one needs to help me do some work? That's the whole story. And you're like, well, that doesn't sound very exciting. You mean there's going to be no punchline? There's going to be no great, incredible moment where Jesus and Peter are walking in the middle of a storm and they're, peace be still. There's none of that happening here. All there is, Ashley, is two women listening to Jesus and one woman is a little bit mad that she can't sit down and listen to Jesus too because she's busy working. What on earth is this in the Bible for? Everybody say, it's for me. See, the Holy Spirit puts in the Word of God just what we need. If I were a literary agent and I were a book editor, I would have read through that and I would have said, you know, this book's really long. Let's cut this out. This is, what is this? This is just a silly story about two women who couldn't figure out who was supposed to do what. Move on, right? But what did God do, James? He puts it right there in the Word of God, right with raising people from the dead, walking on water in the whole nine yards. And so I say we better listen up. Luke 10, starting in verse 38, now it came to pass as Jesus and his followers went that he entered into a certain village 
And a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. Now this was very early in the ministry of Jesus. He had been teaching and healing and casting out demons throughout the area around the Sea of Galilee, close to where he lived in and grew up in Nazareth. He had even, as we talked about a few weeks ago, raised a young man from the dead during his funeral procession just outside the gates of the little town of Nain. News of his miracles and teaching spread quickly ahead of him by word of mouth as he traveled. And in Luke 10, he arrives at the home of Martha. Now, this was Martha's house. Everybody say it was Martha's house. That's significant. You know, so many people in the Bible aren't even named, but he's naming, he not only names it, he explains whose house it is. Any of you got a house? Anybody, anybody responsible for your own house? You know, like I live in a house, and a lot of times there's a lot of adults that live there too, but whose house is it? It's my house, right? I'm responsible for this house. It's Mark's house, right? My wife's like, this is my house, right? We are the, the, the parents. We are the owners of the house. Well, in this case, Martha is the owner of the house. She's the one in charge of what goes on in it. But she was not the only one living there. She was the head of her household, though. She's named when so many people, as I said, are not named. But I think it's because she's significant in another part of Scripture as well. She's a woman, and the fact that the house is hers is significant. Many agree that this is the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in, a small, in the small village of Bethany on the Mount of Olives, uh, very near Jerusalem. Now, I'm going to try to do this next part real quick, but I have to do this for people that really like to study the Bible. Do we have any Bible people that just like to know the little details of Scripture? You know, I love it. I love it, okay? So this tidbit is for my prospective Bible scholars and serious students, and I'll try to get through it, but I have to share it because it's, it's one of these little things. I'm, I'm almost like, like a, a detective. Like, so when I read the Bible, things bother me. Like, what, why is this like this, you know? And uh, we do not know 100% that this is the same Mary and Martha, even though it says Mary and Martha. Uh, and it doesn't mention Lazarus, so that makes it difficult. And it doesn't say where she lived, where this house was. Another factor that brings us into doubt for some is that the story takes place in Luke's narrative at a time when Jesus has been in Galilee. So if you know anything about the geography, uh, Terry, Galilee and uh, Bethany are not anywhere near each other. Okay, they're a very, very, they're many, 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 many miles away. So I wanted to understand this. We got Jesus. Oh, they already got the map up. Now, guys, what in the world's wrong with you? We're not quite there yet, but we'll do it. All right. So, so I have been to this place. Okay. I've been up here. And when you look, there's this, like, there's a, there's a, a deal and you go to Jerusalem. Okay. And you see over here, right here where this little thing is over here, is the Mount of Olives in Bethany, okay? So I know that the, that the direct route is right this way, and so Jerusalem's pretty important. And it's, it's so important that liberal Bible scholars go, well, you know what? Luke got it wrong, and it's probably wrong in the Bible. And how, does, when you study, this should irritate you, okay? And you should go, they're stupid people who don't know what they're talking about. You don't start off with, oh, Luke got it wrong. We don't do that. Amen? 
And so it kind of bothered me. And I got to thinking, well, hey, you know what? There's water up here. Like maybe, maybe Jesus got on a boat and then he went down the Jordan River. This was my idea. Okay. I thought this is pretty smart, right? And that's what I do. I get in a boat. There'd be no walking. There'd be no trudging. There'd be no carrying nothing. You'd be on a boat. But unfortunately, guess what I found out? They didn't really do that back in those days. But when I looked it up and I found out what they do, there were three uh, ways for, from Jesus to go to here, to Jerusalem. There were these pilgrimage routes that were established, and, and archaeology today supports this, that one of them went like this and went across the Jordan River, down, and then back across. Right here is where the children of Israel crossed over. It's where Elijah and Elisha both crossed over. It's, an, it's where Jesus is later baptized. But... Uh, that it crossed over right there, goes to Jericho, and on the way, before you get to Jerusalem, you get to what? Bethany. Sorry, I just had to throw that out there for you guys. Because the story, you're up in Galilee, and the next thing you know, you're in down here, and the, everyone says, oh, you have to go through Jerusalem, and everybody would have been, the story would have been taking you to Jerusalem, which it goes to Jerusalem next. Okay, thought I'd throw that in there. Are we done with that? All right. It was exciting for me. Um, so, so now it's not really going to change uh, the, the meaning of the message, okay? But I like precise dealing with the Word of God. So, it was Martha's house, and most believe the language here, there are hints that she ran a business out of it, okay? And this is going to factor here in just a moment. Verse 39, and she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Now, it would make sense that uh, this Mary is Martha's younger sister, and perhaps Lazarus was even there too, but maybe he's not mentioned, or maybe he was gone doing something. And he may have also been younger than Martha. But as you will see, she takes her responsibilities very seriously, as we should. Somebody's got to make sure that we have food and shelter and safety, especially when it's your house, you know? Um, if you're the one that owns the house, you're worrying about it. You're worrying about if something gets fixed. You're worrying about if there's food in the refrigerator. You're worried about if there's salt in your uh, deal or everything's going to turn orange. I don't know if you guys have a well around here, but if you have a well around here and you don't have a softener and that salt runs out, let me tell you what, your whole, everything turns orange. And you, you might go, well, who worries about that? I can tell you who worries about it. The man who owns the house worries about it. Because then you got to clean it and we got to fix it because we don't want orange toilets and orange showers, right? And you go, who worries about that? Well, I worry about that because I got a house, you know? Who worries about it? You see, owning something and taking ownership of it and taking the burden of it is an important part of really being a Christian, of being a good person. This building right here, this is our church. It's your church, you know? So... There are important things to do. As Paul told the Galatians, he said, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If any man think himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let every man prove his own work, everybody say his own work, then he shall have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for every man shall bear his own burden. This is a message I've been teaching Dax, who's not here today, Dax is getting some medical treatment right now, but I've been teaching him that Christians bear their own burden and they bear other people's burdens too. That's what Christians do. I was explaining it to one person I was meeting with uh, earlier this week. 
I said, if you and a bunch of guys are carrying a big heavy piano, anybody ever do this? And you're carrying a big heavy piano, you know, and you're going, man, this is heavy. Dear Lord, there's six guys. And then you look over and you see the other guys just going like this. Is that forever happening to you? And then you know what I do about that point, Terry? I decided to just let my weight go a little bit. And then all of a sudden you see him going, ooh. And I'm like, oh, you've been letting me carry the piano, huh? And I don't feel really good about those people. And then for the rest of the time, I hold about a quarter of what I normally would. And I go, ain't this fun? You know, this ain't so heavy at all. You know? This is what Christians do. They bear their own burden and they bear the burden of others. I remember being over at uh, the Brownfields and we're putting up trusses, you know? And I'm like, got this truss on my shoulder and I got five kids that are picking it. And I'm like, this thing is about to break my collarbone. And then I'm like, wait a minute, there are some other people I let go of the weight. The whole thing almost fell down. I'm like, I'm lifting the whole truss. Now, see, Martha was doing that, and we're going to get to that in a minute, and that can make us bitter. <laughs> when you find out you're bearing the burden and you're bearing it alone, it can really upset you. It can make you have some problems. In fact, it can actually make you have a problem with God himself. Martha's role in her hard work was a wonderful thing, and it was beneficial. We would have no doubt respected Martha's work ethic. We would have liked what she did, and we would like the way she cared for her family and others. She was a good person. Anybody know anybody like this? Anybody know a hard worker that like kind of does more than everybody else? Come on, anybody, you guys don't know anybody like that? A workhorse, a responsible person, bearing her weight and the weight of others. That's what Martha was. Maybe that's you. Good for you and all those who benefit from your labors. Martha's sister Mary during the visit of Jesus, which seems to have been an extended one, is described as sitting at Jesus' feet and hearing the word. I mean, when we hear that, we go, well, that's what I'd be doing. Huh. I want to hear Jesus. Well, we happen to know who Jesus is. At that time, they were just figuring it out, James. They didn't know exactly who he was. They knew he was important. They knew he had a great things to say. And Mary was very into it. And Martha was into it, but not quite as much. Because she had more important things that she knew that needed to be done. I mean, you can't have someone over your house and not feed them, right? You can't just shut down your business, you know, and just uh, uh, let it go to pot, right? You just can't do that. What, what needs to happen is Mary needs to get up and she needs to get to work so I can sit at Jesus' feet. But I can't really sit there unless somebody starts doing some work. I'm hoping maybe somebody here is identifying with this because God is giving this story to you today. I don't know exactly what for, but he is. He's speaking to somebody here. So we don't know how long this time lasted. This wasn't a, a, a one-hour visit. This was a visit that probably lasted several days. Earlier in the same chapter, Jesus sent out his 70. You heard that in your uh, New Testament reading. He had told them where to go. He told them how to go about doing it. He told them what to do. Luke chapter 10, it says this. It said, these things, this is Luke 10, 1. After these things, the Lord appointed another 70. He sent them two by two before his face into every city and place, whether he would come. So Jesus sent these guys to go before him. Therefore, he said unto them, the harvest is truly great. The laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers 
God wants laborers. God wants workers. God wants people who will bear the burden. People that will say, hey, this is my church. I want to bear the burden of it. The work that God's doing in Mount Sterling, this is my work. This is my burden to bear. He said, go your ways. I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Don't carry a purse or script or shoes and salute no man by the way. He's saying you need to be about your business. You got one work to do and it's spreading the word of God. Go do it. Don't worry about uh, taking a big suitcase. Don't worry about having a bunch of money. I'm going to take care of you. You go and you do what I said. Verse 5, whatsoever house you enter, first say peace be to the house. And if the son of peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, you shall turn to you again. And in the same house remain. This is how we know he probably stayed there for a while. He told his other disciples to do it. He probably did it too. Stay in the same house, remain, eating, drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his hire. Some people think that preaching the word of God is not a labor. Teaching the word of God is not work. But the Bible says that if there is a work that deserves to be uh, a paid to do it, it is to preach words God, word of God. I know people that don't believe that pastors should be paid anything. Now, just so you know, you visitors, I never talk about paying a pastor. Don't worry about it. But I'm not working. I get paid by the church. It's great. Okay. But what I'm saying is the Bible says they that labor in the word in the New Testament, they should be worthy of double pay. I like that as the pastor. I really, really like that. Okay. But he said, in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things that they give you. Don't feel bad that they're feeding you. You're earning it, is what he's telling you. Go not from house to house. Don't just go. We're not, this is not a, uh, a sales campaign where you just knock on 85 doors and say, uh, Jesus lives, and then walk to the next door. No, you find somebody that wants to hear you, and you go in their house, and you stay in their house, and you talk to them, and you eat their food, and you hang out, and you stay there. That's what Jesus is doing. That's why, do you think this problem would have developed, you know, between Mary and Martha, Terry, if she'd only been there an hour? No, they can stop what they're doing for, no, no, there, this is happening for a while. So at first, oh, welcome, good master. Mary opens the door. Oh, come into my home. We've heard all about you. In fact, your disciples were here recently and they told us that you were coming in and we had them over to our house too. We want you to come in, come on in. And she probably set out some food. Maybe she washed his feet. She did the work and, but then he's there for a while. And what she, what, you know, uh, I'm running a store, maybe. I'm, I'm running an inn. You know, hey, I got to check these people in. Um, and, and she's looking over at Mary like, Mary, that's normally your job. Like, could you get up? Like, can't you see that I'm entertaining uh, this guest? And Mary's like, she's not getting the clues. She's, you know, you ever try to get somebody's attention and they won't look at you? You know, Beetle, Beetle, you know, we got a guest. Could you get him a drink of water? Beetle's like, She's looking over here. And I'm like, I'm not wanting to make a scene in front of anybody, but I'm like going, that's what's going on, I'm telling you. And then when Beetle isn't listening, she's walking through the room and she's going, and Mary ain't even looking at her. You ever do that? People won't even look at you, right? I'm telling you, this is what's going on in the story. Mary is focused on Jesus. She's sitting at his feet. She's hearing the word. And here's Martha. She's answering the door. She's getting food. She's running a business. And she's looking at Mary. This woman, what is wrong with her? She's my little sister. I'm the one who owns this house. She lives here too. What's wrong with her? Why won't she do any other work? That's what's going on. Her frustration is building and, and, and she's upset because, of course, there are important things that need to be done. 
So over the course of this time, Mary spent most of her time listening and learning. This was a good thing. Listening and learning is a good thing in general, but listening and learning at the feet of Jesus, there's nothing better than that. To be at the feet of Jesus, though, was to worship Him, to worship God and to listen to Him, to learn from His Word and submit yourself to it. Mary had become a devotee, a disciple of the Messiah. She had gone beyond polite hospitality, and she had entered into the kingdom. You go, oh, well, if he was at my house, that's what I would do. You know, he's here in this house. Is that what you do, or have you kind of moved on to your busy life? Have you moved on to all the things that are important that you need to do, and you forgot about sitting at the feet of Jesus? Well, I got to raise all these kids and I got to do this and I got to run this and I got to do that. Yeah, you do got to do that. And that's good. Everybody say, that's good. But there's something better. In fact, Jesus said, that's how the Gentiles live, right? That's not how you're going to live. Verse 40, everybody say the first two words of verse 40. But Martha, you might go, you know, Could you imagine Martha later, you know, she's like, yeah, you guys put this in the Bible, but I mean, seriously, come on. I, you don't know what I did for Mary. You don't know what I've done for Lazarus. You don't know what it took me to build this business that, uh, you know, did all this stuff. We can't just let it go. By the way, and then she go, but then again, I did get straightened out. When we work really hard and we do good things, sometimes we can get caught up in the good that we do and we can miss the better. Amen telling you that's God's message for you today. I don't know how it's going to land on you, but I'm telling you, God is wanting this message to come to you. If it makes you feel better, I can go into some sort of, you know, oh, and God told me and I can make a funny voice, but I'm telling you right now, God spoke to me that this church and the people in it need to hear that there's good, but there's better. There's glorious, but there's more glorious. There's weighty, but there's more weighty. And I don't know what it's going to say to you, but you should hear it because it's from God. But Martha was cumbered about with much serving. This is the language we get in this verse that lets us know that this is more than just she's making food. You know, no, this is not about a one meal. This is she's running a business. She's, She's doing very vital work to keep the world going that she has around her. She was cumbered about much serving and she came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister have left to serve left me to serve alone, bid her therefore that she help me. Guys, I'm going to tell you right now, you have prayed Martha prayers. Now, some of you never even made it to Martha. You've never even been a burden bearer. You've never even seen this church as your own or, or your home as your own. You live in it and you're just a guest. You're just one of the people there. You don't look around and say, I want to make this place nice. I want it to look beautiful. I want to bear my burden in somewhere else. Some of you never even made it to Martha status. So don't go looking down your nose at Martha because you're not good as her. Some of you want to skip Martha and go straight to Mary. And you want to sit at the feet of Jesus while everybody does everything. That ain't what the message is either, just so you know. The message is not, you know what, we shouldn't work. We should just let the church be disgusting and let nothing be fixed. And, and we should never do any accounting and we should never plan. That is not the message here. 
Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening and learning. But Martha, you can see Luke's intent to contrast the two women. Martha is often portrayed as a woman in the kitchen, cooking and cleaning. And I'm sure there was some of that going on. But in the language, there's so much more. Some of you men might relate more to Martha than most you know, of the women in this room. The stereotype, although useful, is narrow and is not really what it is. She is the provider of the family here. It seems that Martha and her family ran this business. We're not sure what it was, but what we're seeing here is a contrast to work. Good, responsible, necessary work to earn a living and to take care of what needs to be done in contrast with sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning his word. And if you're honest and you're a worker and if you really imagine this is actually really a story that really happened, what, which, which it was, if you relive the story in your mind and you put yourself in Martha's place, you go, you know what? I would have been Martha too. I know exactly. And you go, well, not if it was Jesus, but I'm going to tell you, Jesus wasn't Jesus to them yet. He was becoming that. And in fact, he had already become that for Mary. She might have been thinking to herself, oh yeah, I'd like to sit in here and listen to teaching too. I'd I'd like to sit and listen to a podcast and not do anything. I'd love to just be able to sit and do nothing too. I'd love that too. Wouldn't it be great? I wish I had the leisure to learn, uh, but I have to work. Come on, James, you you ever said anything like that? You ever thought anything like that? Oh, I wish I had the leisure to do nothing. You're a worker, right? You're a Martha. You're a working guy. Billy's like that. We have Bible say he's going to make sure everybody's got a pop. Everyone's got their food. They got their, you know, he's going to move. He's going to do it. He's going to take care of it. There's a problem. Hey, is it warm enough? You know, he's got that mindset. This is the good mindset. This is the right mindset, but it ain't the best. And it isn't the ultimate. You understand? It is a step along the way of our service to God. But we got to become Martha's oftentimes before we ever become Mary. Oh yeah, I'd like to sit at Jesus' feet. I wish I had time to, to have leisurely sitting around and talking to some great teacher. But someone has to wait on the customers. Someone has to pay the bills. Someone has to make sure this place doesn't turn into a pigsty. Come on. This is right where some of us would be too if we were in this story. And I know, you can, I know you can start to see yourself. You should be able to relate unless you are so self-consumed that you don't really think about what it takes for others to do all the work they do to take care of the needs you have. There are people like this more than you might think, and they often need reminded to do their part. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha is on her feet, coming and going from the conversation and the teaching constantly. She's missing the greater part of it. I'm going to read it again. Martha was cumbered about with much serving. She came to him and said, Lord, do you not care? This is oftentimes, it will even enter into our hearts. We pray, God, don't you care that I'm working myself to death and no one will help me? I'm killing myself. I'm doing all the work. Mary was sitting and listening at the feet of Jesus, but Mary felt that it was in her way of doing the same thing. I have to work. And if Mary would stop doing what she's doing, I could sit at the feet of Jesus too. Let me just tell you what, nobody is keeping you from sitting at the feet of Jesus. There is nothing that needs to be done so much 
that should keep you from the feet of Jesus. I'm telling you. Nothing. World go to pot, house go to pot, life fall apart, and you go, you know what, if there's only one thing I can do, if I'm so messed up and so tired and so overburdened that I'm getting stressed out and bitter, maybe what I ought to do is just sit at the feet of Jesus and just let it all fall down. Now, once again, just like Jesus, am I telling you to hate work and to hate burden? I'm not saying that. I'm saying in comparison to your love of God and your desire to sit and hear God's voice, in comparison to that, anything should be worth not doing. Does that make sense? Mary had a different view, and although Martha, Martha had done her best to make it clear to Mary through dirty looks, probably, sighing as she walked through the room. Anybody ever do this when they're displeased with you? <sighs> Sorry. I've maybe seen more than the average person. I don't know. She could not break away Mary from doing the things that, that must be done to keep the business and the household running. Martha recognized Jesus was a good man. He was an important teacher to be treated with respect. She comes to him with a request and complaint in her own home, addressing him as Lord. Now, when she calls him Lord, don't get in here that she, you know, this is not Lord as in like Jehovah God. This is Lord like master, like important guy, like, hey. Mary obviously won't listen to me, but she'll listen to you. In fact, she's been listening to you. That's all she is doing. I'll tell you. It was not necessarily a confession of her faith in him as the Messiah. She may have already been converted or, or not. She may have accepted him as her Lord and Savior, but still the work of her house and business were a necessity. We don't know. We don't know if she'd enter into being a true convert yet or she was just being polite. Either way. The work was still more important than Jesus. So what does she do? She asked Jesus to tell Mary to leave him and his teaching and get to work doing what really needs to be done. Martha felt what needed done was so important that she could not stop doing it. The work came before the Messiah or his teaching. We too can be easily find ourselves in Martha's place, especially when the hardest workers, the most responsible among us, the most aware of what it needs to, to make things work. You can have a financial uh, strength. You can have a functional home or business. You cannot have them without these things. So Martha was right to see the importance of them, but she was wrong about what was the most important thing. She even appeals to his sense of decency. Jesus, do you not care? Can't you see? That I'm doing all the work. I mean, maybe she was trying to get Jesus to get up, to quit teaching. And you know what? We are so selfish sometimes. We're like that. Jesus, don't you care about having such a hard time? Can you do something about this? Could you maybe do a few dishes around here? You've been here for three days. You haven't lifted a finger. You're not doing any of my dishes. And you might go, is that I'm telling you, this is what's going on in the story. Normally, Martha would be right. This is true most of the time, but she failed to understand fully what was going on. The Son of God, the Messiah, the one that came to change the whole world was there, and he was talking, and there was nothing more important, James, than her just listening and sitting at his feet. And I'll tell you, look back in time, I bet you Martha was going, I wasted that whole first visit. I missed it. I missed it. I missed it. 
Remember how several of those Jesus called to follow him responded? Matthew chapter 8, verse 21, another of his disciples said, Lord, suffer me first to go bury my father, and then I'll follow you, right? But Jesus said, follow me, let the dead bury the dead. Was, he, was, was Jesus really teaching that going to funerals is stupid and we shouldn't do it? No. He was saying that if Jesus, the Son of God, speaks to you and says, follow me, then everything else is stupid. You got it? That's the way it was. Don't you remember the, the other disciples in Matthew chapter 4? He's walking by the Sea of Galilee, and they're in the middle of a job. They've got a net, and they're pulling fish, and Jesus says, follow me. And do you remember what it says in Matthew chapter 4? It says, they dropped their nets. You remember Elijah and Elisha? Elisha follows after Elijah, and he, he kills the oxen that he had plowing and burns the yoke. He ain't going to be doing any more work but working for God. It's a pretty powerful picture. Matthew 4, 18 through 22, Jesus walks by the Sea of Galilee. He sees two of them, Simon called Peter, Andrew, his brother, casting their net. They're casting it into the sea. They dropped it. It means they left it in the sea. He said to them, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. And straightway they left their nets. That wasn't responsible. Let me just tell you what, when Jesus speaks to you and he's dealing with you and he's leading you, whatever you're doing, drop it. They immediately, everybody say immediately, left the ship and their father too. I can imagine their dad going, where are you going? I can't pull this net in by myself. There's a time to leave everything we think is important to follow Jesus, to hear his voice and to learn to sit at his feet. So how did Jesus respond to Mary's complaint? Martha's complaint, I'm sorry. Jesus answered and said in her, verse 41, Martha, Martha. If anyone starts off a sentence like that with you, you should know you're probably wrong, right? Rebecca, Rebecca. Thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one, there's only one thing that is needful. Everybody say, one thing. There's one thing needful, and Mary hath chosen the good part. Mary picked that, and it shall not be taken away from her. The double Martha is telling of the emotion he must have spoken to this woman. He was about to lead her and Mary and call all of us to this critical truth. Martha, your heart and mind are concerned with a whole lot of important matters. You bear a lot of burdens, but there is only one thing that is really needful, and you don't seem to know it. Mary does. She's doing the one necessary thing that needs to be done here, and you and no one else is going to take it from her. So what was Mary doing? She was listening and learning from Jesus, sitting at his feet. And this is what God spoke to my heart to tell all of us here at Foundation Church. I'd like the musicians to come. You know, I don't know if the telling of this little story from Luke chapter 10, if you have been convicted that you have not been as decent as Martha was. I don't know if you have not carried your fair share of the load in your home or this church. I don't know if you are a Martha who works hard, but has your, has your priorities all wrong. If you think what you do to keep your hands and your mind so busy in your home and in this church that you have missed that sitting at the feet of Jesus and hearing his voice is the most needful part 
of walking with God. Ashley, you're, you're a mother of young children and you can get caught up in being a mom. You can get caught up in being a wife. But do you know Jesus says that's important, but it's not the most important thing. It's kind of hard to say that, isn't it? We gotta have we gotta listen to Jesus. We gotta talk to him. It's not enough to do the good things that need to be done. There's nothing better than hearing Jesus' voice sitting at his feet. Maybe today you saw yourself in the as the Pharisees paying tithes of every little thing down to the penny, but you're living lives that show no mercy to the poor. No help for the hurting. You, you don't walk by faith, but you are burdened with the worries of doing what is just right. You don't take time to help others see justice in their lives, but, but you would not dare not know your doctrine just perfectly. You might be Martha, maybe even beginning to grow frustrated and even possibly bitter. Bitter that you cannot sit at the feet of Jesus because others won't do their part. I'm going to tell you right now, nothing nobody is, is not doing should keep you from the feet of Jesus. Oh, I wish I could learn from him. I wish I could worship him. I wish I could hear his voice, but I can't. I got too many things to do. You need to give them up then. I don't know what God is speaking to you, but you do. And what I do know is that as I preached Week before last, God is calling our church to draw nearer to Him. We have been near, but we need to be nearer. Amen? We have done good, but we can do better. What we have seen in our years as a church is glorious, but what God has for us going forward is going to be even more glorious. The pathway to that will not be more organized set of standard operating procedures which we will endeavor to do, just so, you, just so nobody gets offended. It will not be having a cleaner building or better fellowship meals, but I sure hope we do. Or even a better accounting system, right? Our pathway to more from God is understanding the needful part. Everybody say the needful part. Right now in our history, we need to be listening for the voice of God. We need to be learning from his word and sitting at his feet, adoring and worshiping him. We need to not miss that God is speaking to this church. The same Mary and Martha lived to see many miracles. I believe that history bears out and it makes sense that they were Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Mary and Martha lived to see many miracles by the hand of Jesus. Their faith led them through the storm of their brother Lazarus' death. They were able to see his resurrection. Ultimately, Mary stays. Everybody say, she stays. She stays at the feet of Jesus for all the years that he was with them. How could she do that? Martha learned what was best, but still served a very important work, but with a new heart for worship, it seems. And as we sing here in a few moments, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Will you just take a few minutes to consider what God is saying to you? Let me, let me close here by reading John 12. And you would have, I didn't even, I read this as I, after I finished my sermon. I'm like, wow, Lord, you, you wrote it just for, 
the end of the sermon just for this just for foundation church john chapter 12 i'm going to read this and then we'll sing john 12 verse 1 then jesus six days before the passover six days before he is to be crucified he comes to bethany where lazarus was he had been dead but he had raised him from the dead and they made him a supper and martha served isn't that pretty epic? What did he even need to say that for? Martha was still working. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Lazarus is there sitting with Jesus and Martha is still working. So what was Mary up to? Mary took a pound of ointment. Spikenard very costly and she anointed the feet of Jesus and she wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. But isn't there always someone around who doesn't like it? One of the disciples, Judas, the one who would betray him, says, why was not this ointment sold? For 300 pence. Ashley, when he saw the ointment going on Jesus, he calculated its value. Oh, what is wrong with us? Instead of seeing what a beautiful thing it was, he counted its value. Pretending that it would be good. You know, the Bible says it's good to give to the poor, but what does Jesus, what's he say here in a minute? The poor you always have, but you don't always have me. He was leaving. He would be gone. Why was not this ointment sold and given to the poor? Verse 6, he said this not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the bag and he carried it with him. Then Jesus said, let her alone. <laughs> I like it. It's the same thing he told Martha before. Nobody's taking this from Mary. And on this day, the week before his crucifixion, nobody's going to stop her from giving me this ointment. Jesus said, let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. You see, she had been listening and she knew he was going to the cross and she was preparing him for his burial. They missed it. But she didn't. Judas missed it. For the poor always you will have with you, but me you have not always. God is calling on somebody here to listen to the voice of Jesus, to sit at his feet and not worry about all the other things that need to be done that someone ought to be doing or you think you need done. Let's stand. Thank you so much for joining us today. I pray your time with us was very encouraging. If it was, consider sending us a note and also consider partnering with us.